Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 11 of the 2022 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 2022 in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'll tell you what, college football in September and October have been exciting. If that's any indication of what we can expect in November, I mean, we're in store for a treat. I'll tell you, it's been really fun to watch. Wide open race there for the Heisman Trophy. And you look at the national scene. Total chaos. Who's going to be there at the top? College football playoff rankings are going to be coming out here soon. And really, you got Georgia at the top. A lot of question marks there that come after that. A lot of game to be played. So, season's not over yet. We still have a lot to talk about. Uh, as we move forward. But I'll tell you what, this podcast is really dedicated to the guys who are our elevators, the guys whose stock have just skyrocketed and really taken off in 2021. And I think the guy that we have to talk about first and foremost is the running back out of Michigan State, and that's Kenneth Walker III. Now, when you look at KW3, what he has done at Michigan State If anybody out there was saying, I predicted this, I was expecting Kenneth Walker III to be doing what he's doing right now out on the field for for Sparty, they're lying to you. There's no way that anybody could have predicted what Kenneth Walker has been able to do. He's already eclipsed the rushing totals that he had at Wake Forest in his first two seasons with the Demon Deacons in one year with Sparty. So when you think about that, at Wake... 1,158 yards, 17 touchdowns. So far this year, uh, 1,194 yards and 14 touchdowns. And when you watch Kenneth Walker play, look, he's 5'10", 210 pounds. So he does have some physicality to him. He also has has that game-breaking speed. But what sets him apart is the vision. Because this is a guy who... We'll see a crease that is just opening and just a sliver of daylight. And he gets skinny through that and is able to take off. And once he gets to daylight, he has that explosive burst. He gets to full speed in a hurry and takes off down the field. Five touchdowns against the number six Michigan Wolverines in a rivalry game. And that was really, if you're talking about a Heisman Trophy candidate that was his Heisman moment you know this was a guy you know you watched him on the outside uh just running away from guys uh, you know he presses the line of scrimmage you know you saw the defensive end come down and take away the hole his lateral cut to the outside sees the vision on the outside there sees Aiden Hutchinson on the outside able to make that cut get outside him then stutters gets to the outside Brad Hawkins out there you know uh, and able to make him miss as well uh, starts to his right defensive end David Ojabo's there on the on the edge Josh Ross flowing to the outside, slams on his brakes, cuts it back to the inside to avoid him, and picks up nine yards. The ability to understand what's going on, process that, be able to slam on the brakes, stop and start, cut off off that, and be able to pick up positive yardage when really there was no yardage for him to pick up. And uh, you know there there was a run play that he had. Um, that ultimately put Michigan State up 37-33 with 5.06 to play. Took that handoff up the middle, was bottled up to the left, and then to the right, there were two defenders and one blocker. 
But AGR Curie, his, his right tackle, there was a block to his left that gave him just enough of a crease that he was able to shoot through it. Had to step over the right tackle's right leg, explodes into the open field. RJ Moten is the safety that's coming down downhill from his left. Angles to the right, steps through that arm tackle, and ultimately takes off to the end zone. Uh, proved to be the game-winning score, and uh, you know, really sets him as possibly that Heisman frontrunner at this point. You know, this is a guy who leads the the country in, in yards after contact. Um, you know, with, with I think about 800 yards now uh, after contact. He's physical. He has the game-breaking speed. You see the lateral agility, the vision. Everything that you're going to need at the next level. He hasn't been asked to really catch the football a whole lot. When you have guys like Jalen Reed and Jalen Naylor out there catching passes, he's not really asked to do a whole lot. But he does show really soft hands there in the passing game. I'm a big fan of Kenneth Walker. I think he's a guy, he's emerging as possibly that number one running back. Now, came out of nowhere. And now he could very well be that number one running back. I think he ends up taking over that top spot from Brees Hall. And look, Brees Hall, a season ago, you know, everyone remembers the type of season that he had there for Iowa State. His season there in 2020 was a big reason why Iowa State was coming into the season as a top 10 team. Um, finishing the top 10 in the Heisman this year, yet again, you know, a, a big pass catcher there for Brock Purdy and uh, running the ball really well. You know, he has a lot of big runs, and then he'll struggle to uh, to get some yardage there. But he's one of those guys that still, you know, he's going to be a you know 1,500 yard rusher a season ago. He'll go over, you know, probably about 1,300 yards this year when it's all said and done. Um, a guy who has a nose for the end zone, a touchdown in 20. Uh, straight game, 72 receptions. But to me, Kenneth Walker right now is emerging as a guy who has a chance to win that Heisman. A lot of people are talking about Bryce Young there at Alabama being the uh, the front runner. But I'll tell you what, I don't even think he's the, the MVP of his own team. You can give that to Brian Robinson for his performance this year. You know, he's stepped in finally out of the, the shadows of all those other running backs. Had to be the backup for Najee Harris a season ago. He steps in over 700 yards on the ground. You see the physicality. He dominated Ole Miss on the ground and ultimately made sure that that football did not go back to Matt Corral. Jamison Williams, if he doesn't do what he does as a pass catcher, who knows where that passing game would be for Bama. John Mechie not having the year that I was expecting him to have. I was expecting him to have a bigger year, um, really being that breakout guy. And, and instead, you have the transfer that's coming in um, in Jamison Williams. And we'll be talking about him as we get to the receivers with our breakouts. But, you know, Kenneth Walker, you know, to me, he, he's emerged as the number one Heisman candidate in this year's draft. You move to the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, this is a year, it's really kind of an odd year. You had... Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell at the top. Both of them really kind of sputtered. Uh, Spencer Rattler got benched at the Texas game in favor of Caleb Williams himself, uh, emerging as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Going to be interesting to see what happens there down the stretch for OU and whether or not Caleb Williams can really get into that discussion. If Kenneth Walker stays on the same path and can stay healthy, then I still think KW3 is going to be your, your Heisman Trophy winner when it's all said and done. But with Kenny Pickett, they're at Pittsburgh. He's my breakout quarterback for 2021. And really, 
everyone was talking about him, you know, as a potential, you know, sleeper quarterback in 2020. Decides to come back for one more year, and he's absolutely paying dividends for for that decision. Um, you know, I, I think you know he's got a much better team around him. Uh, Jordan Addison, the sophomore, really showing that he's going to be one of the top receivers in next year's draft. Um, over 69% completion percentage. This was a guy who was barely a 60% completion percentage guy. Um, you know, coming into 2021, over 2,700 yards through the air, 26 touchdowns, does have three interceptions. That includes two interceptions in a 500-yard performance there in that loss to Miami. Um, you know, but Kenny Pickett's definitely the real deal. This is a guy. The understand, you know, Mel Piper and, and a lot of other uh, people in the draft community have compared him to Joe Burrow and really that meteoric rise. A guy who, coming into the season, we're talking about Kenny Pickett as a mid to late round pick, much like Joe Burrow was, and you see him elevate his game. And look, just like Joe Burrow, he understands who he is. He's not going to be a guy that's going to wow you with his legs, but he can get the job done, manipulates the pocket very well, steps up in the pocket when he needs to, the subtle moves laterally to buy himself some time, but the accuracy, the ball placement, and anticipation. If you watch that Clemson game, there's a play where he hits Jordan Addison on on a corner route. Nolan Turner has outside leverage, but even with Turner, it might even have a little bit of an edge but that ball is out before you even see Addison make his break on that, that corner route, that break to the outside. The ball's already out, throwing him open, throwing to that spot, and allowing his receiver to go get the football. You also watch the trajectory on his ball, throwing the ball into a tight window where only his receiver can make a play on the football. That's some really good stuff. And then you watch the physicality with the way that he runs. He knows that he's not going to be Malik Willis running around and making all these plays with his legs. But what he can do, you give him third and five, you give him third and seven, he's going to go get that first down. He's going to dive head first, do whatever it takes to get that first down. I, I love watching Kenny Pickett play. And he's a guy who's definitely emerged in that quarterback class. He's right in that conversation. When you talk about Malik Willis, I'm not somebody who, who thinks that he can't throw the football down the football field. I, I compare him to Lamar Jackson with his ability to just the flick of the athlete and the flick of the wrist to throw the football 50, 60 yards down the field effortlessly. I think Malik Willis is going to be right in there. You know, I think Carson Strong reminds me a lot of Mac Jones, a guy who just is not an athlete by any means. But what he does have is an understanding of that offense, the, the chemistry with his receivers, Romeo Dubs at, at wide receiver, Cole Turner at the tight end, and then one of the best receiving running backs in the Mountain West Conference in Toa Tawa. He understands where they're going to be out on the field. He knows exactly where to put the football to allow them to make plays, whether it's those 50-50 balls, back shoulder throws, Whatever the case may be, you know, even coming across the middle on, on crossing routes, putting the ball where he allows those guys to make a play after the catch. Carson Strong, you know, you look at the completion percentage like Mac Jones, over 70% on the year, 24 touchdowns, has five interceptions. I, I, I think it's funny, just ni- negative 97 yards rushing on, on the year. You look at a guy like Mac Corral, who's over 500 yards. Malik Willis over 600 yards. Uh, between the two of them, they have 19 touchdowns on the ground. Um, you know, and, and Carson Strong just not the athlete that those guys are. But that's okay. 
You know, Mac Jones is proving that you can be a good quarterback in the league. You can be successful and not be a tremendous athlete at that quarterback position. I think that's really one of the things you can, depending on what you're looking for, this draft is going to have a little bit of everything. You know, it's not quite on the same par, the same caliber of quarterback that we saw in years past, but there are quarterbacks to be had out there. Don't forget, Sam Howell is out there. And real quick, with Sam Howell, reminds me a lot of Josh Allen when he was coming out of Wyoming. Josh Allen, his sophomore season, breakout performance. But he loses his receiver in Tanner Gentry. His running back in Brian Hill was a 1,000-yard rusher. And I believe Wyoming's all-time leading rusher loses his tight end, Jacob Hollister. All those guys move on to the NFL. He's got to build chemistry with all these other weapons and struggle to do so as a junior. What is Sam Howell doing? He has to make up for the loss of Javante Williams and Michael Carter in the backfield, De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom in the receiving game. So just saying, Sam Howell... I see some of those comparisons, you know, and this is a guy who's actually learned to be a weapon running the football, actually four games over 100 yards on the ground. So that's something that really jumps out for me. I think the accuracy is down a little bit. I think he's pressing a little bit too much, but Sam Howell is still a good quarterback. He's somebody that I think we should still be keeping an eye out for. Don't count him out just yet. Now, when we talk about the receivers, the breakout guy for me is Drake London at a USC. And now I know what you're going to say. He he's not he didn't come out of nowhere. He, he's a guy that everyone was expecting to be uh, at or near the top of the receiver rankings. But I'll tell you what, I don't think anybody was really expecting Drake London to have the impact that he's had there for USC so far. He was basically uh, 80% of that offense. Whenever Keaton Slovis dropped back to pass, he's looking for 15 out there. Um, you know, so this is a guy who isn't known to be that a game breaker with his speed. You know, I heard someone compare him to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside because he's out on the West Coast. Uh, Arcega-Whiteside ran that four, what four four forty. Um, you know, vertical threat, able to high point the football. But I, I didn't think he was a savvy route runner uh, by any means. And I'll tell you what, Drake London, far from a finished product in terms of the route running ability, but this is a guy who is more of, he's working on that technique and being able to throttle down, even though he is 6'5", 210 pounds, be able to you know, show some of the nuances as a route runner and then the physicality that he plays, plays with. He's a basketball player at heart. So you see him attack the football in the air. There's no football that is not going to be his. And teams know Drake London is going to be getting the football, yet they can't stop him. He attacks the football depending, you know, regardless of who's covering him. And then he's so difficult to bring down because he is so powerful. What I love, though, is when, he ha- when the ball's in the air, you see that body control. You see his ability to box his man out. Use those, bo- those basketball skills to his advantage. He doesn't track the ball like Traylon Burks, who's 6'3", 225 pounds, more of a vertical threat than, than Drake London. But I'd argue that Drake London has more tools in his toolbox. You look at those receivers, and I think Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, when it's all said and done, they're out of Ohio State, are going to be your top two receivers. I think like Bama in uh, in years past with you know two receivers coming off the board in round one. You're going to see that with Ohio State. I think they'll be the top two receivers taken in this draft, but I think Drake London has a chance to be number three. 
I really do. Uh, you know, just the physicality, his ability to, and you just see him continue to develop as a route runner. And really what's helped him in 2021 was kind of putting basketball in the rearview mirror. He played basketball and football at USC. He's now focusing on football. And unfortunately, that ankle injury, um, you know, you knew that it was broken the moment that Christian Roland Wallace from Arizona fell on it on a two-yard touchdown. Um, I think, you know, he'll be ready to go though come next uh, next year when you're talking about uh, all the pre-workouts um, you know his injury just happened here at the end of end of October uh, I think that'll be plenty of time for him to get everything rehabbed and be uh, ready to go uh, and, and look you know he reminds me a lot of Mike Evans you know, Mike Evans was not a, a burner by any means but you think about how physical he was those 50-50 balls there weren't very many guys and really there aren't any guys in the league now that can really do uh, a 50-50 ball quite like Mike Evans and so that's really what I see with um, Drake London is being a similar receiver to Mike Evans and it's one of those things to where Keaton Slovis would just throw the football up and you're looking at it going he is just on a wish and a prayer putting that football up and Drake London's going to come down with a football, find a way to do that, attack the football in the air. That's exactly what Mike Evans did for um, for Johnny Manziel. Now, Mike Evans only ran a 4-5-3-40. I don't think Drake London's going to break 4-5, uh, but right around that 4-5-3, I think that's probably doable for Drake London. And look, Mike Evans, he was the number seven pick in this draft. I think Drake London, when it's all said and done, is going to be a top 20 pick. And, and that's really what, what I believe at that receiver position and that's even with the duo there at Ohio State then you have Jamison Williams there at uh, at uh, Alabama and with Jamison Williams you know he's 6'2 189 pounds a transfer from Ohio State what he's doing there at Bama 35 catches 710 yards at 20.3 yards per reception and six touchdowns he's he's winning with, with deep balls you know a lot of the crossing routes that Bama likes to run um, he's getting open. He's winning at the line of scrimmage. You see the, the body control um, when the football's in the air, but he, he attacks it. He has that speed to go the distance. The route running ability is there as well. I think Jamison Williams is going to be right there. Jahan Dotson, another receiver, uh, enjoying another breakout year. Uh, you look at his yards per catch average, and, and you're worried about that. But look, Penn State hasn't really been able to run the football, so a lot of their quick throws to Jahan Dotson, kind of like what USC is doing with Drake London. A lot of the quick throws get four, five, six, seven yards. That's going to you know impact your yards per catch average. But at the end of the day, Jahan Dotson is absolutely explosive. He's a vertical threat. You see the body control in the air. And uh, I think that, that uh, he's going to be right there as well. I mentioned Traylon Burks and then David Bell. Here's another guy who I think has really had a breakout year there at Purdue. Everybody knew about him from his freshman year. I uh, really had to fill in for, for Rondale Moore. 86 catches, over 1,000 yards, and seven touchdowns. Um, you know, in 2020, battled some injuries a little bit. Um, you know, 625 yards and eight touchdowns there. So far through this season, you know, nearly 800 yards. Uh, you know, just just the four touchdowns. But he's one of those guys who, uh, you know, wins those 50-50 balls. Um, you know, pretty good route runner as well. I think one of the things that I think really stands out for me with David Bell are those hands. Just such strong physical hands. And put on that game against Iowa, where Purdue upsets uh, the Hawkeyes. 
uh, you know, first time that they've really taken down a, a top five team. And, and you look at 11 catches, 240 yards, 20, 21.8 yards per catch average, and a score. And with David Bell in that game, you know, he was virtually un- uncoverable. You know, and really, you're looking at a guy in Matt Hankins, who was one of the better corners in the Big Ten Conference. And David Bell was running away from from Hankins, showing deceptive speed for a guy 6'2", 205, taking off down the field, 60-yard gain, um, you know, running the, these out routes and being able to create separation you know, at, at the top of his route, um, tracking the ball well over his shoulder on the deep balls, the concentration and the ball skills, absolutely evident. You know, David Bell is another guy who I think he's going to be a second rounder early second round and I think he's a guy that we're going to see uh, make some plays there at the next level for sure. Now when you move to the tight end position, you know the guy that I've always been a fan of and I think you know the, the draft community is really starting to catch up to it is Isaiah Likely and what I love about Isaiah Likely there at Coastal Carolina is he's a receiver man. You know, he's 6'4", 240 pounds, the dude can get vertical and you know and do so in a hurry and uh, he's a playmaker. Um, not the not the best blocker by any means, but if you're going to be drafting Isaiah Likely, you're getting him because he can make plays. You know, I'm really curious to see what type of 40 uh, he runs. A season ago, had 600 yards receiving for the Chanticleers, 20 yards per per catch, five touchdowns, and this was the guy who was battling a, an ankle injury, and yet he was still able to get vertical and beat guys. And they they had to play him early on and get the ball to him early because he wasn't going to be able to play the entire game. Fast forward to 2021, through eight games already over 600 yards and uh, about 18 yards per reception, eight touchdowns. Uh, Again, work in progress as a blocker even in 2021, but I I think the game that really um, put him on on the map was that Arkansas State game. Eight catches, 232 yards, and four touchdowns. Just an absolute, you know, uh, stellar game by Isaiah Likely, but the biggest play was in that first quarter, that 99-yard pass play from Grayson McCall. And just, you know, he was he was their offense. He dominated that game, and that's really when he jumped on everybody's radar. I was talking about him a season ago with that ankle injury and really wanted to see what he would be able to do this season. Granted, I had him just out my top 10 on my tight end list because he's not much of a blocker. But I'll tell you what, his ability to affect the game as a receiver – Man, I'm moving him, you know, he's into my top 10 now and a guy who I think is going to be an ascending prospect. Now, there are guys, in the, you know, there's a guy in the trenches that we have to talk about. And I, I, I feel bad that I, I'm a little late to the game with this guy, but Bernhard Raymond out of Central Michigan. He's 6'6", over 300 pounds, the junior, number 76. This dude is interesting. Um... You know, The Athletic did a great story on him, um, talked about him as a uh, foreign exchange student from Austria, you know, 3.8 GPA in high school, smart kid, and, uh, you know, really focused on soccer and skiing, and, and uh, you know, I think the soccer really helped his footwork in Austria, according to The Athletic. Um, actually spent his senior year in Austria after his junior season in America, um, and then uh, the athletic was saying that six months Australian uh, Austrian military that's something that is a requirement and then ultimately 
he goes to play at Central Michigan. You know, he's a he's a 245-pound tight end and converts to the offensive line in 2020. 290 pounds, has six starts in 2020, didn't give up a sack, has 20, uh, 10 and a half inch hands, so he's got some big old mitts on him, on him. 33 inch arms, so a little bit on the shorter side, but I, I think that he'll be okay there. Uh, 3.8 GPA at Central Michigan in statistics and actuary science, so definitely a smart dude. Um, you know, 30 reps in the bench press, and uh, the athletic was saying, you know, look, this guy was coached by by the NFL O line coach Paul Alexander. Apparently, he reached out to him and said, "Hey, you know, would you work with me?" Saw enough of his game film, and the athletic said, "Yeah, you know, Alexander decided to to work with him." And uh, this guy, I'll tell you what, technically sound. You, know, you watch him so balanced in the kick slide, gets good depth, good flexibility, very light on his feet, athletic when he pulls does struggle to make some blocks on the move he'll lunge and lean get off balance when he's out in space but that wide base he stays really low moves well laterally hands inside maintaining leverage um, keeps that leg drive to generate movement in the running game um, you know there's a play where he was driven back by the bull rush a couple of hops backwards that resets those feet and anchors but it's you know we talked about those 10 and a half inch hands that grip strength is unreal. When he locks onto this guy, you know, and guys are trying to move, he's not letting go. He gets those hands inside and is not going to let go of you. Uh, and, and watch that that Northern Illinois game, and that's really where I got to see him play. You know, fires out of that stance, engages the defensive end in the running game, um, turns him to the outside with with power. Uh, keeps those hands inside, then gets a pancake to finish. So he gets nasty when he needs to. Uh, blocks down on the defensive end and able to peel back and pick up the linebacker with a really powerful strike. Then ultimately another pancake. Uh, and, and I think that's the thing that's really fun watching him play is he's physical, has a little bit of a mean streak to him, very athletic. You know, it's just he hasn't played a ton of football. You know, he, he's a guy that, that grew up in Austria, fell in love with the with the game of football, and. Uh, you know, I think soccer, like I said, really helped with the footwork. Tremendous lateral quickness for a guy his size. I think, you know, with, with Bernard Raymond, could he enter the draft? It's entirely possible. And when you look at this draft class after Evan Neal, you know, it's really kind of up for grabs for who's going to be that number two guy. And it's really not out of the realm of possibility that we could end up seeing Bernard Raymond, you know, getting close to that spot. Um, you know, because of all of that potential, and that's one of the big things. You're looking for traits. This guy has them in in uh, you know in droves. You know, and I mentioned all of those. You know, I think Nicholas Petit Ferrer, uh, there for Ohio State, 6'5", 304, the junior um, for the Buckeyes, playing left tackle, moved over from the right side. I think he's going to be right up there. Uh, Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa, the big 6'7", 321 pounder. You know, there's always going to be an FCS guy. Penning's going to be right there as well. Sean Ryan from UCLA. Uh, Daniel Fa'alele from, from Minnesota. Those guys are right there along with Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. But I think you have to mention Bernard Raymond in that group. And uh, I think he could end up being the number three offensive tackle coming off the board when it's all said and done. Um, stranger things have happened. Um, but I think if you're drafting him, you know you have to understand that you're probably going to have to redshirt him a year. Uh, you know, Really allow him to understand the position a little bit before you ultimately move him to tap maybe you actually play him at guard get his feet wet there in the league and then kick him out to tackle 
you know, when he's ready for that NFL game because a guy who's so new to the position, he may need a little bit of time to develop before he moves on. Now, moving to the defensive side of the football, I think everybody's familiar with, with Jordan Davis. I mean, how could you not? The dude's uh, as big as a house, 6'6", 340 pounds. But what he's doing this year, you know, he was a second-team All-American in, in 2020. But what he's doing this year, he, he looks like the, one of the most dominant players in this year's draft. You, know, you watch him with, with his his quickness off the ball. He's so big. Yes, you know, you're like, okay, uh, it's difficult to move a guy that size. He's rarely blown back off the ball, you know, even with the double teams. Uh, so he eats up a lot of space, takes on multiple blockers, but the quickness off the ball is what sets him apart. And that's the thing. I look at a guy like Dontari Poe, the last guy that was taken, you know, a nose tackle that was really taken, you know, almost in the top 10. He was number 11 overall to the Chiefs. But the quickness and his ability to get up the field in a hurry, a guy that big should not be able to move that fast. And you see him play sideline to sideline. He's chasing guys down from, from the near side all the way to the wide sideline. I mean, how in the in the world a guy this big is being able to move that fast? I have no idea. But I'll tell you what, he, he is absolutely explosive. And uh, you know, when you compare him to Dontari Poe, when we look at him, you know, Poe um, coming out of uh, out of Memphis, a big dude in his own right, 6'3", 200, 246 pounds, and uh, in his career with uh, with Memphis. Had over 100 tackles and, you know, 21 and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, four pass breakups, four forced fumbles in just three seasons with the Tigers. Um, then he's drafted number 11 overall by the Kansas City Chiefs in the 2012 draft after running a 4.9840 with a 1.6710 yard split. Now, Jordan Davis, when you watch him play, I think he's running faster than that. This dude... You know, imagine if a guy 6'6 and 340 pounds comes out and runs a 4840. I think it's absolutely doable for, for Jordan Davis. When you look at Dontari Poe, you know, this guy played in the league a long time. You know, he, he really did. You know, he played uh, nine years with four different teams, uh, two time Pro Bowler. And when you look at the stats, you know, I mean, he, he had 20 and a half sacks in his career, 31 tackles for loss. You know, a guy that really put up some, some decent numbers. And when you talk about Jordan Davis and you look at his stats, um, you know, I, I think the, the comparisons are absolutely there. 79 tackles, you know, 10 and a half tackles for loss, seven sacks. Um, also has a block uh, to his record there as well. But you, the stats just play part of the story. I mean, you, you can see some comparisons there. Um, you know, Don Terry Poe was a little bit more disruptive, but at the same time, he's not playing in the SEC. He's playing in Conference USA. So the level of talent, a little bit different there. When you watch Jordan Davis, even in the SEC, this dude looks like a, a dominant athlete. You know, and that's what's scary about what, you know, what you're talking about there with Jordan Davis. Some people have said, is he a top 10 pick? Well, this is a guy who can affect both the pass and the run. And a guy his size... Moving that quick, 
I think there's a legitimate shot that you're talking about right in that that eight to to, to fifteen range is about where Jordan Davis is going to come off the board. I think you know, we were we we're talking about him maybe at the end of round one. Now there's actually serious consideration about him being a top ten pick. So in terms of his emergence, I think he's really emerged as one of the better overall prospects in the 2021 draft. Now, if you move to the linebacker position, man, I got a guy for you there. Um, and that's Jordan Davis's teammate, Nicobe Dean. And Nicobe Dean has always been one of the better linebackers in the country. Let's not get that, that, that twisted by any means. But what you have with Nicobe Dean is a guy, the lateral quickness is absolutely ridiculous. Another guy that flies around to the football, you know, and for all the speed there at Georgia, Nicobe Dean is still the guy that has the best instincts, the best nose for the football, also the best blitzing linebacker, um, you know, from the inside in all of college football. Times the blitzes very well, gets downhill in a hurry. Eight tackles for loss. I'm sorry, five tackles for loss this season, eight in his career, three and a half sacks so far. Has a couple of interceptions, one of which he returned to the house. He's the guy to keep an eye out for. Number 17, always flying around to the football. And a lot of people love Christian Harris. And I think the big thing was, was in 2020, had 79 tackles, seven going for loss, four and a half sacks, but really hasn't been able to re- repeat that. You know, I think what you see with him is he struggles at times in coverage, seems to get lost at times. Also, uh, you know, if he's coming downhill, makes a lot of plays. But uh, if you're asking him to to get wide and chase plays down like Nicobe Dean does, I just don't see the explosive player that you see out of Nicobe Dean. So I think there's really some separation there um, for sure. Now, when we talk about pass rushers, there are three guys that have really emerged on my draft board. Um, guys that I think um, you know, we weren't talking about quite as much as we probably should have as the season you know uh, has gone along. And Jermaine Johnson. You know, was a transfer from Georgia, went to Florida State, 6'5", 260 pounds, really getting a chance to be the guy. You know, I think at Georgia, you, you kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes with all that all, all that beef up front and uh, all the pass rushers. Transfers to Florida State, and in the ACC, look, you know, 10.5 tackles for loss, 7.5 sacks. He's using his size to his advantage, using that length. Um, pretty good get-off as well. Bends pretty well for a guy his size. I think he's one of those those pass rushers that uh, when you're looking for that next group beyond you know the Kayvon Thibodeaux and you know the Aiden Hutchinsons and uh, and George Karloftis, Jermaine Johnson's going to be right there. Uh, another guy, Arnold Ebiketti, you know, 6'3", 253 pounds, out of Temple. Had 10 and a half uh, tackles for loss and six sacks in three seasons at Temple. What does he do? He shows up at the Big Ten with uh, with Penn State. 12 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. A guy who bends really well. You know, you see that ankle flexion, getting some of those weird angles coming off the edge uh, when he bends and gets low. Uh, very explosive, and uh, a guy who I think. You know, when you think of Penn State, you think of uh, of linebacker U. But the last couple of years, you know, you think about uh, you know Owe, you know Adafa Owe, there, um, you know, with that speed coming off the edge. And uh, this is another guy who I think is ultimately going to see himself get drafted, not on day one, but I think early day two, you're going to see uh, Arnold Ebiketti get drafted, and then Josh Pascal out of K- uh, Kentucky. You know, someone that should be on everyone's radar, but not a lot of people are really talking about. You know, a guy that just finds ways to get into the backfield, get up the field in a hurry, um, has a, a pretty quick get off, but can also be very physical. A guy that likes to line up at at, uh, at the three technique 
and uh, uses quickness off the ball to beat those guards on the interior. 30 and a half tackles for loss, including 10 so far this season, nine sacks to his career. Um, you know, hasn't really been asked to to get home a ton as a pass rusher, but a guy who just has really incredible awareness to to make plays and blow things up behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, a guy who's probably going to be an early day three pick, but uh, he's one of the better um, edge rushers in the SEC because of his intelligence and his ability to make plays. Um, I, I think number four. Uh, for Kentucky is definitely a guy that people are going to have to be be watching out for, for sure. Um, you move to the secondary. And when we talk about the secondary, um, there are two guys that, to me, stand out. And uh, one of those is going to be Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, and that's C-O-B-Y, Bryant, named after uh, the late, legendary uh, Los Angeles Laker of the same name. Now, with Bryant, what you're looking at, you know, pro football focus... Noted in his last game against Tulsa, seven targets, just two catches, 17 yards allowed, interception, passer rating of 0.0. Yeah, this dude's for real. Everyone wants to talk about Ahmad Sauce Gardner on the opposite side, but uh, Kobe Bryant needs to get some of that attention as well. Is he going to be a first rounder? Maybe not, but I think he's a guy that can absolutely uh, make plays at the next level. This is a dude who understands uh, understands routes really well. Uh, does a good job down the sideline, you know, in terms of uh, being able to look and lean, really cut off that that receiver and and take away uh, that sideline, really making it difficult for the receiver to make a play on the football. Um, you know, I, I think what you see with him in off coverage. Reading that closes the gap, comes down in a hurry, and arrives right as the ball does to get his hand in, attack the catch point, and knock the football away. No wasted movement. I think that's another thing um, you see a, you know, against Notre Dame. Off coverage against uh, Lorenzo Styles comes back down the stem towards the quarterback on a comeback, and uh, no wasted movement comes downhill, able to to make a play on the football. Got his hand in and, and able to make a make a play. But I think, you know, that pick that he had against UCF, you, know, you saw it happen and, uh, you know, a long throw to the wide side on a stop route, jumped the route and was gone. 74 yards for a touchdown. It had a 21-yard pick, six, that the week before against Temple, uh, breaking in zone coverage uh, before the ball was even out. Read the play, understood the route concept, and was driving on the football in a hurry. You know, that game against UCF, turned that on, and that was really a clinic that number seven was playing there for uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Five yards off, wide receiver runs a slant, drives on the ball in a hurry with inside leverage, reaches in, punches the ball free for the incompletion as well. Um, you know, ran with Ryan O'Keefe from the slot, inside position again, ends up gets over the top of the route, ball thrown to the inside, breaks it up again, nearly picked off that play. That was before the 74-yard pick six. To me, Kobe Bryant, when you look at these corners, he's definitely a guy that that is emerging as a star. You talk about linebackers. I mentioned one on the inside. His teammate on the outside, Darian Beaver, 6'4", 255 pounds, tremendous athlete, a dude that's you know on his Twitter account is throwing 360 dunks down. You know, a guy that they, they say may be running in the 4'5 to 4'6 range, 6'4", 255. I see a lot of comparisons to Zayvon Collins. 
And so, uh, you know, when you talk about Darian Beavers, a guy that can drop into coverage, he can rush the quarterback, has that sideline to sideline ability, has really good speed. He's a guy to, to keep an eye out for. There's an imposing presence there out on the football field. And, uh, you know, whether it was against Indiana, Notre Dame, Temple, Navy, this guy's a playmaker. Watch out for number zero there for the Bearcats. I think if he really has a good close to the season, especially if Cincinnati keeps winning and uh, he has a chance to play in that college football playoff, you know, these two guys, Kobe Bryant and Darian Beavers, playing on that stage, everyone knows about, about Sanders, the, the pass rusher, and Gardner, the corner. But Beavers and Bryant, those are the guys that uh, I think could have a real good chance to step out and have a breakout performance. Finally on the list, when we talk about the safeties, I think Jaquan Brisker was a guy that everyone was talking about as a, a playmaker, but this dude has just shown, continued time and time again uh, to step up and make big plays. You, know, you have to remember the Auburn game, three seconds left, able to drive on this post and uh, break up the play to seal the win. Uh, Bo Nix throwing it into the end zone with three seconds to play and, and makes a play on the football there. Uh, you know, against Wisconsin, you saw that the toughness had calf tightness, and he'd make plays. You know, he'd shoot through the a gap and make a play. Um, you know, he dropped back covering uh, Danny Davis, the receiver, right on his hip and making a, uh, you know, the ability to make a play over the top um, and break up a football. Now, he actually went down four times on that calf tightness and still able to get up and and uh, and make some plays. Um, so that toughness to battle through injury was, was definitely there. You saw the, the range you know, against Indiana, um, you know, cover skills were on display. You watched him sticking like glue to Miles Marshall out there uh, and continuing to drive on the football really had no chance. You know, the, you know, Miles Marshall out there, uh, you know, and a guy, like I said, he, he can play in the box. He can sit there and, and, uh, and cover. He also has the range over the top and the speed to really play sideline to sideline. That's one of the things that, that you see time and time again when you watch the game film. A guy that's never going to give up on a play, and I think that's one of the things that, that teams at the next level are going to love. And when you look at the safeties, you know, I think we talked about uh, you know, Jalen Catalan is one of those guys towards the top. Uh, you know, Tyke Smith has battled some injuries there at Georgia. You know, after the, the West Virginia performance a season ago, you're expecting him to be towards the top of the group. Uh, Daxon Hill kind of up and down at times there at Michigan. Jalen Petrie, another guy who I think has been inconsistent. Jordan Battle, another one at Alabama. So I think Jaquan Briskers kind of solidified himself as that number two safety behind Kyle Hamilton. So I think when you look at this draft class, obviously there are a lot of other guys that we could be talking about. But those are the guys to me that really are standing out as emerging prospects, guys that you know are seeing their stock continue to rise as we get into this season, um, you know, and move further and further into conference play. And really, what you want to see is these guys continue to elevate their game. Um, I, I think Kyron Williams. I mentioned Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame is another guy who's just continuing to emerge as a running back. Y you saw the stiff arm there against Notre Dame, getting to the edge and then taking off down the field uh, you know, with, the, with the speed, uh, his ability to, to pass block, and then exceptional as a receiver. You know, 
Kyron Williams, when it's all said and done, can end up being the number one running back taken in the draft. You know, I, I think he's right there with Hall and Walker, and then you know Spiller isn't too far behind. He and Tyler Goodson as well. Uh, it's a pretty good class for running backs. You know, um, you know when it's all said and done, I, I think receiver class is also going to be pretty strong, although not as strong as we've seen in the last couple of drafts. Uh, the tight end position is going to be exciting. You know, between Jalen Weidermeyer, Trey McBride, um, you know, Jeremy Rucker, Isaiah Likely, Jaleel Billingsley. Uh, Tegan uh, Quatoriano, he's only a junior there at Oregon State, but that's a name to know. Exceptional blocker, decent receiver there for the Beavers. Um, offensive lineman, I think Evan Neal is is your number one guy. But uh, at guard, you're talking about you know Kenyon Green, Ike McWonu, Jamari Sawyer, uh, you know Darian Kennard. Definitely some guys there. Obviously Tyler Linderbaum at center uh, is is your guy uh, there at the pivot. The, the pass rushers I mentioned, you know, Thibodeau and, and Hutchinson and Karloftis, Jermaine Johnson and, and Arnold Ebiketti there. Um, you know, I think those are guys that definitely are, are set, setting themselves apart. DeMarvin Leal, Haskell Garrett, four sacks at the defensive tackle position. He's a guy to watch out for, as is, uh, you know, DeMarvin Leal's teammate, Jaden Peavy at Texas A&M. He's the guy that's showing the ability to push the pocket. Devontae Wyatt at Georgia stepping out a little bit. Perrion Winfrey, he can be consistent in shooting the, the gaps there for Oklahoma. I think he'd really turn out really well um, in terms of his draft prospects. You know, Adam Anderson, Will McDonald, uh, Kingsley, JJ, Enigbare, uh, Amari Barno, Drake Jackson there at the edge rusher spot. Um, Devin Lloyd at inside backer. I'd actually put him ahead of, of Christian Harris right behind Jacoby Dean at my inside linebacker position. DeMarvion Overshone looks a lot like uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Uh, Damone Clark, good lord. This dude has, I think, over 80 tackles there at LSU already. Um, you know, And then the corners, after Stingley and Gardner, you've got McCreary and, and Elam and Booth and, and McDuffie and Wright. Um, you know, a lot of guys there. And Emerson, Martin Emerson of Mississippi State is also emerging. And then the safety position, I mentioned Daxon Hill. I like Verone McKinley. Brandon Joseph, and he, he has a ton of picks as, as a sophomore coming back. Teams are kind of staying away from him. I want to see him get a little bit more physical. Lewis Seen, Jalen Petrie, physical guys there on the back end of the defense as well. So there are some guys to talk about. There are guys that that I think are going to, to emerge, and this isn't going to be a quarterback-driven draft. So what is the narrative going to be? There are a lot of other guys that are out there. Who's going to step up and really take over the conversation and I think that's really what's what's fun about the, the, the draft is there are these narratives that come out each and every year. What is the narrative for 2022 going to be? We'll have to see exactly how that all plays out. So with that, we're going to go ahead and put a wrap to this podcast. Uh, we'll go ahead and release another one here in the next week or two. And uh, we'll take a look at the last couple of weeks of action when we do that. And uh, we'll be getting close to the end of the season. So obviously we'll be able to really get into some of the the battles there, some of the rivalry matchups as well. Um, And we're really going to get into the thick of things. And we'll know a little bit more in terms of the the college football playoff and that landscape as well. Are we going to see Georgia continue their dominant performance? Is Alabama going to get back into the thick of things? Ohio State looks to really be turning things on and turning that corner uh, on the offensive side of the football. Will OU? be able to turn the corner defensively to match up with what Caleb Williams is able to do on the offensive side of the football. 
you know, those are some of the teams to really be on the lookout for, along with Luke Fickle's Cincinnati Bearcats. You cannot forget about them. Yes, they are in the American. Yes, they are a group of five team, but you cannot underestimate them. That's a team that looks like you know, they can do the, the job on the ground. Desmond Ritter can beat you over the top. He's got some weapons. Alec Pierce is going to be a, uh, a legit fourth, maybe fifth round receiver, but a guy that can be a vertical threat, be a possession receiver as well. You've got Josh Wiley at the tight end position, an athletic receiving tight end. Uh, defensively, I've named off all the guys that are studs on the defensive side of the football. Desmond Ritter can cut down on the, on the errors, really cut out those jitters early on and be a, you know, a player down the stretch watch out for Cincinnati man this is probably the the closest that we've seen to a complete team coming from a group of five conference I want to see Cincinnati get a shot even if you put them there at number four and have them take on Georgia I don't care get get Cincinnati in there let's see how they stack up because I think that Cincinnati has a great chance to really play with just about anybody in that power five conference we saw what they were able to do against Notre Dame so I hope the committee gives them their just due. And then there's Michigan State. You know, I think what you have there, you've got some of the transfers. you got you know KW3 there on the offensive side. You've got Kovaris Crouch on the defensive side of the ball. I think that linebacker has really uh, taken on a leadership role there. He and, and Xavier Henderson, the safety, Jacob Panishuk, uh, the defensive end up front as well. Michigan State is one of those teams, you know, you're seeing the receivers emerge as well. Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, and uh, an offensive line that's it's really crazy. They play like nine guys up front. They're just shuffling guys out. It feels almost like a, a hockey line. Let's make a line change. And so the entire offensive line uh, comes in. They always keep guys fresh up front. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Mel Tucker, man. It, it, you know, they have a good shot there. They're going to have to beat Ohio State, I think, in order for them to make it to the college football playoff, but I wouldn't rule it out. I think a lot of people counted them out against Michigan, and they were still able to get the job done. It's all going to be on the backs of Kenneth Walker, and if Kenneth Walker can do that against Ohio State, another Heisman moment, then you just you, you send him to New York and you give him the trophy right then and there. So still a lot to talk about, a lot to get through here in the college football season, and uh if you can't already tell, I'm, I'm super pumped and excited for the remainder of the season. So uh, with all of that, we'll go ahead and put a wrap to the podcast. And so for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week. Enjoy another weekend of college football. Until next time, I am out of here.